Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. This is part 2 tonight of ending the book of Ephesians, talking about the subject of spiritual warfare. And I just want to read verses 10 through 13, which were the verses that we covered last week, and then we'll pick it up in verse 14 tonight. Paul says, Finally, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of His power. Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand your ground on the evil day and having done everything to stand. We talked a little bit last week about the reality of spiritual warfare. And uh, we're not going to take a lot of time to do that again tonight, but simply to maybe start out by also saying this. If we deny spiritual warfare, we're really calling Jesus Christ a liar. Because throughout the Gospels, Jesus Christ taught the reality of the conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, between good and evil. In fact, one passage you could turn and you could study for yourself is Matthew chapter 12, where he specifically talks about the kingdom of Satan being in conflict with the kingdom of God. So Jesus Christ himself believed in this conflict, and Paul is now reminding the Ephesian Christians and you and I how we can stand when the conflict comes. And last week we talked about the fact that one of the most important things is not that we focus on our adversary or the conflict itself or even the strategy that he uses in our lives, but that we keep our eyes focused on Christ. It's Satan who wants us to get our eyes off of Christ, and God says the best thing you and I can do is keep our eyes fixed upon Christ. That's really what he means in verse 10 by being strengthened from an outside force, which is God himself, in the Lord and in the strength of his power. And it is by allowing God to strengthen us every day and prepare us for battle that we can meet the attacks of Satan. In fact, we saw last week that in verses 10 through verse 13, the word stand is used three times. And we pick up on that very same concept at the beginning of our study tonight in verse 14, when Paul tells the Ephesians once again, stand firm. Literally, dig in is what the Greek means. Because we learned last week that the Bible never asks us as Christians to attack Satan in any way but simply to withstand his attacks, to resist him, and to stand and to take every blow that he gives us and to keep standing. And we can do that in the strength of the Lord, in the power that he supplies to us. And so that's what God is asking us to do. In the times he attacks, to stand, to dig in, to hold our position. And then when he retreats, when we have stood our ground and the attack is over, then we can keep on moving forward in our walk with God. You'll also notice, as we begin to talk about the armor of God tonight, that several places, including verse 13, Paul talked about us taking up the full armor of God. Nothing less than the full armor of God will suffice in this conflict. We can't put on part of the armor 
We have to put it all on. Another interesting thing that you'll find as you study the armor is that all pieces of the armor are really characteristics of Jesus Christ himself. So in a sense, putting on the armor is simply putting on Christ-likeness. It's exactly what Paul said to the Romans in Romans 13, 14, when he says, put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to obey its lusts. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. So in a sense, every day we are to put on the armor of God. We are to put on Christ's likeness. We are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first piece of armor that we find in verse 14 is the belt of truth. This belt of truth represents the attitude of truthfulness. One cannot hope to grow spiritually and thwart the evil one's attacks if he is not willing to live with absolute honesty and integrity. So important. You see, God is all about open, transparent, honest, integrity, truthfulness. It is Satan that is described throughout the Word of God as a liar, as the father of lies, as a master of deceit, as one who comes to us as an angel of light, whose ministers come to us as ministers of righteousness. He's all about deception. He's all about sleight of hand. And the follower of Jesus Christ who wants to stand in this conflict and withstand the attacks of Satan must live a life of truthfulness of integrity, of honesty. And we all know that you tell one lie, then you end up having to tell two more to cover the one up. And it becomes very draining in order to live that way. That's why I think the Bible even shows us that, and and Paul was very familiar with this, because let's not forget that when Paul was writing the letter to the Ephesians, he was writing it from a prison cell in Rome, so he was very familiar with the armor of a Roman soldier. And it's no accident that when he talks about what piece of the armor truth is, he says it's the belt. It's what is wrapping everything up and holding everything up and holding everything together, and the belt was very a very big important piece of the equipment because the scabbard or the short sword was put there the the, the robes or the the tunics were tucked in so that the soldier had good mobility and was unimpeded as they were in the conflict it's also the center of our movement it's what we call the core Even in fitness, they say strengthen your core because it affects everything else of how we move and it all comes back to this area. And we can then begin to see how important truthfulness is because God wants us to have the belt of truth around our waist. And that is the first piece of spiritual armor. Again, though, tying it into Jesus Christ, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth. And the life. And so when we put truthfulness on, we're putting a characteristic of Jesus on. And God wants us to live that way. Tonight, if there is something in your life that you're being deceitful, dishonest about, recognize something. You are allowing Satan a foothold in your life through that thing. God wants us to be honest and truthful. And people of integrity. And we need to deal with it. 
You'll also notice the next piece of armor is the breastplate. And the breastplate was also very important because it was the breastplate that protected all of the vital organs of the soldier. If the soldier was probably going to suffer a mortal wound, it was either going to be in the head or in the chest area. And so the breastplate was very, very important piece of armor. And notice the breastplate is righteousness. Doing what is right. Righteousness of life protects us from the spiritual defeats that would surely come from an accusing conscience and an impure life. All God is saying is, do it right. If you know what's right, do it. And we don't have to do it in our own power and strength because we learned in verse 10 that God will supply us with all the strength that we need to do what's right. And doing what's right many times in life is not easy. God understands that. That's why He empowers us and gives us the strength to do it. Because many times to follow Him means doing the hard thing. Not necessarily the easy thing, but it's the right thing. That's why in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, Moses had passed off the scene. He had died. Joshua was now the new leader of the Israelites. They were getting ready to go in and conquer the promised land and get all that God had promised for them. But throughout chapter 1, God said over and over again to Joshua and to the people of Israel, Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous because it takes courage to obey the Lord many times. A Christian who's living in victory and who's making an impact on their world is not a weak individual at all, but one who's being strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of His power and putting on the breastplate of righteousness. A person who is pre-Jesus, they have one moral compass in their life. That's their own conscience. Every human being has a conscience. But the Bible teaches us that we can sear our conscience. We can literally cauterize our conscience. We can say no to our conscience so much that it becomes like burnt flesh and it becomes unfeeling. That's why many times we look at the news, we watch what's going on in our world and we say... How can that person do that to someone else? Probably because they said no to their conscience so many times in their life that their conscience has no more feeling. Their conscience doesn't bother them anymore. That's why many times you look in their eyes and they have a very hollow look to their eyes and to their soul. Because their conscience has all but been diffused. It's gone. For the Christian, we not only have the conscience to keep us on the right path... We have the indwelling Holy Spirit and we have the Word of God. So unlike the person who is pre-Jesus, who only has their conscience to guide them, and if they would just listen to their conscience, their conscience would be not a perfect guide, but a very good guide. We as Christians have no excuse for doing what's right. Because even if we don't know what the Bible says concerning certain issues, if we have the Holy Spirit of God living and dwelling within us and we get ready to do something that would be displeasing to God, the Bible teaches us that we will have the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There will be an uneasiness in our soul and in our spirit. There will be doubt instead of the peace of Christ. 
that passes all understanding. That's why a great spiritual principle to live by is when in doubt as a Christian, don't. That might not be the permanent answer. It might be a timing thing, but when in doubt, don't. Because there's got to be a reason why God's Spirit is not giving me a peace about it. That's why I share Colossians 3.15 with many people in trying to determine the will of God. It's one of the best verses in the Bible to determine the will of God because Paul says to the Colossians in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God or Christ rule in your heart. And that word rule can mean arbitrate or literally umpire. In helping us make decisions in life, let the peace of Christ, because God wants to give his children the supernatural gift of peace. Again, so that even if I'm making a hard decision, but it's the right decision, I will have the peace of Christ enveloping my soul and spirit and my life and enabling me to do what's right so that I can protect spiritually my heart and my vital organs. The Bible says in the Old Testament to keep the heart diligently for out of the heart are all the issues of life. The heart in the Bible is the seat of our emotions and our will. And if our heart gets turned sideways, we can go out into a life of disobedience. And so the Bible says, make sure that we keep our heart right before God and do what's right and listen to our conscience and listen to the Holy Spirit and get into the Word of God and find out what the Word of God has to say about living a righteous life. And can I just say this? Living righteously isn't living perfectly. The Bible never teaches that we as Christians can gain perfection on this side of heaven But we can live a life where we keep short accounts with God and short accounts with our fellow human beings. So that if we do make a mistake, if we do sin, if we do disobey, we confess it, we accept God's forgiveness, we learn from it, we make provision not to repeat that same mistake again, and we move on and keep on moving on and making progress in our Christian life. Never allowing that failure to hold us back. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Proverbs 24, 17. Although a righteous man may fall down seven times, he gets back up every time. And it's not that we're not going to fall. It's that we need to get back up and keep on moving forward. When we fall, Satan, our spiritual enemy, will try to kick us. When we're down, he'll try to keep us down. He'll try to keep us discouraged. He'll try to focus on our failure. He'll bring up our past, even though God has thrown our past and our sin into the depths of the sea, never to bring up our past anymore. That's what Satan does. In fact, we're going to get to that in just a moment. That's why the battle in the conflict many times is in the mind. Because Satan will just throw thoughts into our mind and we wonder, where in the world did that come from? And sometimes we can be involved in the most spiritual activities and get the most ungodly thoughts flying into our mind. And we probably wonder, where in the world did that? We could be praying. When I've been praying throughout my life, some of the most ungodly things have flown into my mind. Thank you, Satan. But here's the thing. When we know where it's coming and we know what's going on, we can immediately push that out of our mind, replace it with the truth of God, and move on. The breastplate of righteousness. Then notice the next, verse 15. Fitting your feet with the preparation of the good news of peace. I want to concentrate just for a moment on fitting your feet with the preparation. That we need to be prepared even before the conflict starts. Why? Because it is our feet that carry the soldier to battle. 
And it is through this preparation of God's peace that we achieve a constant readiness for the conflict through that peace of God. You see, preparation. God wants us to be prepared at all times for the conflict because we never know when these spiritual attacks will come. But even though we never know when they come, we can be at peace because our feet are carrying us into that battle and our feet are covered with the gospel or the good news of peace. The peace of God gives us a calmness for the conflict. That in spite of the outward attacks and the flaming arrows and the ammunition that could be flying by us, the sturdy Christian warrior can have this inward peace and his feet can march unafraid to the battle and to the front of the battle, to the very forefront of the battle. That's what the gospel of peace can do. That I know this is what God wants me to do. I know that God is behind me. His strength is in me. So I'm not going to fear the enemy. I'm going to face the enemy. Again, God doesn't want me to attack the enemy, but God wants me to make my stand and face my enemy. And we talked about that last week. How important it is that we as Christians are willing to face our enemies, face our demons, if you will. And I'm not even meaning that literally. To face those things in our life that we've never faced because the only way we will overcome and allow God's power to see victory in those areas is that we're willing to face them and not put our head in the sand like the ostrich and pretend like it's not there or pretend like it's going to get better on its own. It doesn't. That's believing and, and embracing the lie of Satan. That's how he wants us to deal with things. Just let it go. God says, no, you face it, and in my power you deal with it, and you start to see with my power you overcome it. But that can only happen when we face the enemy. And we can face him if our feet are clothed with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Notice the next piece of armor is the shield. Verse 16. The shield obviously protects a soldier from the weapons of the enemy. In Paul's day, the shield was wrapped with leather, and usually right before the battle, it was dipped in water. The reason being, as you'll notice there, even in this passage, Paul talks about the flaming arrows of the enemy coming at us. And many times they would dip those arrows in pitch, they would light them off, and they would fire them. And if the shield wasn't able to, to be protective, then obviously the shield was no longer good, and it could expose the soldier to a wide range of attacks. The other thing that the enemy would do in Paul's day is they would start out with a barrage that would try to overwhelm the enemy, try to just totally distract the enemy. They would just put all of their flaming arrows all at once and try to like beat them very quickly. Sometimes that's what Satan does with us. We talked again a little bit about that last week, how many times Satan tries to just overwhelm us. It seems like different things are hitting us all at the same time. God, what do I do? And I shared last week, here's what we need to do. We need to ask God for wisdom, James 1, 5, and we need to say, God, 
Which one thing is the priority here that you want me to focus on for a while and give my attention to? And then after you've led me to move past that, then you'll show me what the next thing is. But we can only fight one battle at a time in our life. It's Satan who wants to get us spread out. That's why I used the illustration last week of the lion tamer who was given the choice of whether he would get rid of his whip or the chair. And the lion tamer said, I would get rid of my whip any day compared to the chair because a lion cannot attack if the chair is held up in front of him because he has four points to focus on and he doesn't know which one to focus on. So he's left paralyzed. That's exactly what Satan wants to do in our lives. He wants to leave us paralyzed. He wants to get us sometimes spinning and so overwhelmed that we don't know what to do next. I heard about this concept of spinning through some firemen uh, that are good friends of, of mine here at the church. And they talked about this happening to firemen, uh, especially young ones who are inexperienced, but even older ones, that they come on a scene of a terrible accident or, or whatever, and they've been through the training, they know what to do, but all of a sudden there's five things to do, they've got to do them all at the same time, and they just stand there and they don't know what to do next. One of them even told me that the very first time the, the, the young fireman actually went into his first fire, that the fire was just beautiful. It was coming across the ceiling and it almost like mesmerized. It, it, it just like, wow, I've, I've never actually seen something like this before. And their head starts to spin. And the more experienced fireman had to sort of nudge the young one and says, we've got work to do here. Let's get going. But that's what Satan does in our lives. He wants us to start spinning. He wants us to feel overwhelmed. And that's why the Bible says that many times it's not just one arrow coming at us. It's a bunch of flaming arrows coming at us. But notice what God's Word says. This should be encouraging. That if we are strengthened every day in the power of the Lord, and we are faithfully putting on the armor that God has supplied, notice that God says, as we take up the shield of faith, we can extinguish 90% of the arrows? No. All, all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And can I just say, in Bible interpretation, all means all, and that's all all means. And when the Bible says all, that's what the Bible means. That's what God means. All. If I take up the shield of faith. That's why, very interestingly... The shield is our faith. It is the fact that even in the battle, when the arrows are coming at us, God is asking us to keep believing, keep trusting, keep putting confidence in Him because it is Satan who will try to cast doubt upon God's character and God's Word. That's why in 1 Peter chapter 5, you have these two verses together. Cast all your care upon God because he cares for you. And the very next verse is, be alert because your enemy is the devil like a roaring lion going around seeking whom he may devour. What's the context there? Because Satan tries to get into our heads that God really doesn't care about us. That, that God doesn't love us. So don't cast that care on God. And Satan is always doing this. And what the shield of faith does is that we keep trusting and believing in the Word of God when Satan tries to say, no, that's not the way it is. Again, Satan's had this strategy from the very beginning of time. You go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. We talked about this again a little bit last week with Adam and Eve. 
And what did he do with Eve? He tried to get Eve to doubt what God had just said about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then she added a little bit to it. And then when she finally said, well, God said we would die if we ate of that tree, here's what Satan's response was. You won't die. And that's what Satan does to us today. Here's what God says, and here's what Satan says. And the way that we can stand up in the conflict is to keep trusting. That's the shield of our life, our faith. When you and I are attacked by what seem to be insurmountable odds, wielding overwhelming firepower in the form of burning temptations, crushing circumstances, stormy winds of doubt, all of which threaten sure shipwreck and defeat, then by faith, look up and say, I believe every sure word of God and will stand firm on his unchanging word. That's why the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 30, verse 5, every word of God is trustworthy. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. It's one of my favorite Old Testament verses. Every word of God is trustworthy. You see, Satan's going to come into our lives and say, you can't trust God. You can't believe what he says. He will always continually cast doubt upon the character of God and the word of God. Our defense is the shield of faith. And with faith, the Bible says we can extinguish every arrow that Satan will hurl at us. All the arrows can be extinguished. And notice who's hurling them. Verse 16. The evil one. It's the only time Satan is called this in the New Testament. It refers to a being who is actively harmful, who seeks to cause injury and destruction. No wonder Peter wrote, Be sober and alert, your enemy the devil, like a roaring lion, is on the prowl looking for someone to devour. The next piece of equipment, verse 17, the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation speaks about the settled assurance that one is truly saved and cannot be eternally harmed by the adversary. We need that when we're in the midst of the spiritual battle. I got to know that I'm saved and I got to know that the worst thing that could happen to me is that I physically die. But as soon as that happens, I'm on my way to heaven. That there's nothing that Satan can do to eternally touch me or harm me. That the most important part of me, my soul, is connected to, to God. I have been placed in Christ. That's why Paul took so much time in the book of Romans chapter 8. To remind us in that great passage at the end of chapter 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. That's what uh, Paul means here in Ephesians by the helmet of salvation. Knowing that I'm secure and stable in my relationship. And that there's nothing that Satan can do to me to eternally do damage to me and harm me. Listen to these verses. Paul says to the Romans in Romans 8.35... Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we encounter death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, Paul says, in all these things we have complete victory through him who loved us. 
For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor heavenly rulers, nor things that are present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. That's the helmet of salvation. Because again, where's Satan going to attack? He's going to attack my assurance. If I don't even know where I stand with God, how can I go into the, to the battle against my spiritual adversary if I don't even know where I stand with God? You see, that's why I've got to be sure where I stand with God and know that God's strength is in me and that God's supporting me and that He's behind me and He's given me the armor and He's given me all the resources that I need in order to stand. Because if I'm not sure where I am with God, then there's no way I can stand before my spiritual adversary. That's why the helmet of salvation is so important, because that's where Satan's going to attack. The next weapon is the sword of the Spirit. It's called the sword of the Spirit because it was the Spirit who inspired this book, and it is the Spirit of God who illuminates this book to our minds. He helps us to understand it. He helps us to apply it. He helps us to learn the deep things of God. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, verse 13, the Spirit of God will guide us into all truth. That's why it's called the sword of the Spirit. And notice, it is the Word of God. And the greatest example of the Word of God being used to defeat Satan was Jesus himself when he was tempted in the wilderness. Every time Satan attacked him, Jesus quoted Scripture. Every time. If, if there's no other encouragement in the Bible to learn the Word of God, to know the Word of God, to hide the Word of God in my heart, it is the example of Jesus facing Satan in the wilderness. Because that's how Jesus attacked Satan or stood against the attacks of Satan. It was through the Word of God. And again, let's not forget that Satan used the Bible first. He just twisted it. He just took it out of context, which is exactly what he did back in the book of Genesis. He took what God said and he added a little bit. He tweaked it. That's exactly what Satan still does today. Again, we talked about this last week. He will weave enough error, just a little bit, in with the truth to make it acceptable to most people. And unless we truly know what the Word of God says, we swallow it, not realizing it can blow up our lives. In fact, I've got a minute to be able to do this. Keep your finger there in Ephesians 6 and go back to the book of 2 Corinthians. I've ran all around this, but I'm going to just take us there tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is why we have to know what we believe and why we believe it as Christians. This is why we've got to know the Bible. This is why we've got to use the sword of the Spirit. Because Satan is so deceptive. Notice in 2 Corinthians 11, I'm just going to begin reading in verse 13. 2 Corinthians 11:13. For such people... And Paul here was talking to the Corinthians about these false teachers, these false apostles that had infiltrated the church at Corinth. He said, for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, 
For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will correspond to their actions. Satan is a master deceiver. He's a master twister of scripture. He's an author of confusion. Even today, in Christianity, there's so much confusion out there. Does the Bible say this or this? Well, I've heard this person say this and this person teach this. Where's the truth in all of this? And that's why Jesus wants to cut through all the confusion and give us clarity in our lives. And as we study the Word of God and as we allow the Holy Spirit ultimately to be our teacher, we will find clarity in the midst of a world of confusion. And we'll do that through the sword of the Spirit. Then notice, it's really not a piece of armor, but in the context, it is just as important as every other piece of armor that's already been given. And that is prayer, verse 18. He tells us to pray at all times. Why? Because just like a soldier in the battle... A soldier has to keep in constant contact with their commander, with with those over them in order to to maybe move to another part of the battlefield or to, to, to do something that's going to be helpful to the other soldiers in the battle. The same thing is true for the Christian. We must keep in constant communication with our commander in every season of conflict. Only in this way are we enabled to follow the leading of our master closely. That's why Paul says, pray at all times. The Bible talks so much about prayer. And even here tonight, how does Paul end this great passage on spiritual warfare? Emphasizing prayer. Notice he says, pray at all times and pray in the Spirit. Verse 18. That means in the energy of the Spirit and with the purposes that the indwelling Spirit prompts within the heart of every believer. You see, one thing that Satan will, actually, two things that Satan will try to desperately do to dismantle a Christian is keep us out of the Bible and keep us away from prayer. And he will do almost everything in his power to keep a Christian from praying and a Christian from getting into the Word. And that's why Paul says we've got to pray in the Spirit. Because it's got to be spirit-energized. We've got to have the Spirit prompting us to prayer and energizing us and inspiring us to prayer. Because if left on our own, even as Christians, we won't pray as much as we should. And we will lose that battle every time. We need to ask the Spirit to empower us to pray. And then I'm going to take verse 19 a little bit backwards. Or excuse me, verse... 18, a little bit backwards, but I think you'll see why as I finish this up. The next phrase I want to focus on is requests for all the saints at the end of verse 18. Why? Because by prayer, the Christian warrior is also to be watchful for the needs of other believers in conflict and should intercede with God on their behalf. We have a spiritual obligation to strengthen one another by prayer and encouragement. I mean, yeah, we're all soldiers. 
we're in a conflict, we're in a battle, but guess what? We're not the only ones. All of our brothers and sisters in Christ are in the same battle, they're in the same conflict, they're fighting the same enemy. And God says just as important as it is physically for soldiers to look out for each other and to have each other's back and to encourage each other, whatever, on the battlefields of this world, the same thing is true for we who are spiritual soldiers as well. We need to encourage each other every way that we can. And one of the best ways that we can encourage each other is to pray for each other. Request for all the saints. Notice also he above that says with all perseverance. The word perseverance in the Greek language means doing something with intense effort despite the difficulties. It is a single-minded course of action. Yeah, God doesn't say it's not going to be difficult to keep our minds focused, to keep our eyes fixed on Christ, and to keep praying whenever the flaming arrows are flying over us. But remember something, if I put on the shoes of the gospel of peace, I can walk into that conflict with calm inside of me, even though everything around my life and in my world may be going out of control I can inwardly be in control because of that peace. And I can bring hope and encouragement and inspiration to my fellow soldiers around me. A great story from the Civil War. General Winfield Scott Hancock, the third day of the Battle of Gettysburg. Pickett's charge was about ready to start. And the South was bombarding the northern line there at Gettysburg like no other cannon bombardment that's ever been seen in history. In fact, they tell us that up to that point in history, the bombardment between the northern and southern armies at Gettysburg on the third day of the Battle of Gettysburg was the loudest noise ever, loudest noise ever recorded on the North American continent up to that point. It could be heard as far away as Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. That's how loud the bombardment was. As that bombardment was going on and the cannonballs and canister were flying overhead and killing soldiers all around, there was General Winfield Scott Hancock riding on his horse up and down the Union line. And every Union soldier that you read their journal and you, you read what they wrote on that day who survived that day said just looking up at that general on that horse was like, wow, I'm standing my ground. I'm not running. I'm not retreating. I'm facing the enemy. If he can be up on that horse, I can hold my position. It's what God wants us to do as fellow Christians. To not only be strong in the Lord for ourselves, but to be strong in the Lord for others. And that's why he writes also there in verse 18, To this end, be alert. Because some Christians in the battle may be in greater need than others. So believers need to be spiritually alert in order to help them in various ways, particularly by prayer. Just like in a physical battle, there may be a wounded soldier over here. There may be somebody who's hurt over here. And if I'm alert, I know who my spiritual brothers and sisters are who need more attention at that point in the battle than someone else. And if I'm alert and I'm in tune with God in prayer and I'm allowing the Spirit to empower my prayer life, the Spirit will be able to nudge me and prompt me to go over here and encourage that soldier who may be about ready to throw in the towel and give up. And all of us should be willing. And really it is our obligation, again, to make sure that we encourage our brothers and sisters in the fight. 
Colonel Hal Moore, who was immortalized in the movie We Were Soldiers, starring Mel Gibson several years ago, told his men before they went into that battle in Vietnam, we are facing a tough and determined enemy. We are going into the valley of death. But I promise you this, I will be the first one to set foot on the battlefield and I will be the last one to step off of the battlefield and I will leave no soldier behind. That's the same kind of mindset that God wants his soldiers to have with each other. Too often in our Christian circles, fellow Christians get wounded, they get hurt, they get wounded in the battle, and we just let them lay there and bleed and hope somehow they get up on their own. And God says, I don't want my soldiers to act that way towards other Christian soldiers. It is our obligation to do everything we can to encourage them and not leave them alone. Because someday we may be wounded and hurt in this battle, in this conflict. And hopefully we'll have somebody in our lives that is willing to pick us up and give us an encouraging word and say they're praying for us and be there for us. One of the greatest things we can do as Americans is to encourage our soldiers everywhere all over this world. And one of the greatest things we can do as spiritual soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ is to encourage our fellow soldiers in this conflict, to pray for them and to do everything we can to build them up and strengthen them in the Lord. That's why I leave you with verse 19, where even the great Apostle Paul, in ending this letter, tells the Ephesians, will you please pray for me also? Because Paul was facing the same attacks by the same enemy that the Ephesians were. And he needed the same support and prayer support of others that anyone else does. And if Paul needed that kind of support, we need it too. In closing out this letter then, in verse 21 and 22, it's like Paul sending a letter from the front lines back to those who are concerned and just can't wait to hear how the battle's going. And instead of Paul being concerned about himself, even though he's on the front line of the battle, in prison, not knowing how his life is going to turn, notice he writes this letter so that he can, verse 22 so that you guys back in Ephesus can know our circumstances and Tychicus, who's the bearer of this letter, may encourage your hearts. Because it wasn't about Paul. It was about Paul encouraging others. In fact, even in verse 20, when Paul tells the Ephesians to pray for him, he doesn't tell them to pray for his freedom. He doesn't tell them, pray to God that I'll get out of this damp, dark prison. He says, pray that I might be faithful. If these are the circumstances God wants me to be in, then I'm not praying to get out of them. I'm just praying to be faithful in them. Now listen, if there's a way that we can get out of difficult circumstances in our life, certainly we should get out of them. But this was beyond Paul's control. And Paul recognized that God had him in prison for a reason. And so Paul's prayer was just simply this. Pray that I may be able to speak boldly as I ought to speak because I am an ambassador in chains. <laughs> what an anomaly. A, a handcuffed ambassador. That's pretty strange. But Paul reminded 
even the Colossians. Even though I'm bound, the Word of God is not bound. The Spirit of God is not bound. We are far from losing this battle. In fact, we're making inroads into the kingdom of Satan here in Rome, just like you folks are in Ephesus, just like we are here in Chandler, Arizona. And then he ends this wonderful letter, verses 23 and 24, by just pronouncing a blessing upon the Ephesian Christians. Two things I'd like to leave us with tonight. We have eight weeks between tonight and our summer Bible study on July the 8th. Two things to keep in mind. First of all, even though we take a break for summer, let's remember something. Our spiritual enemy never takes a break. He doesn't take a vacation for summer. He's always seeking whom he can devour. So, first bit of encouragement I'd like to give you tonight as we all leave this place and don't assemble here for the mine again, at least for our summer Bible study until July the 8th, is this. Keep yourself strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Ephesians 6.10 Allow the strength of the Lord to strengthen you every day. Because Satan, even though we're taking some time off, Satan will not take time off. Secondly, until we meet back here again, I would also like us to focus for the next eight weeks and beyond on asking God how we can encourage our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in the conflict in which we find ourselves. And to even ask God through His Spirit to give us wisdom to know which soldiers need the most attention right now, God. Which ones are truly hurting? Which ones are discouraged? Which ones need that helping hand? Because obviously, it's not our responsibility to minister to everybody. None of us can do that. We're only one individual. But there's a few people in our lives that God can bring into our lives that we can encourage. Let's be diligent about that. I think that's one of the things that we can take from this tonight. And I would be very remiss before I ended tonight, before we break, if I didn't say this. Many of you that I'm looking at right here throughout this auditorium, there are no words to express to you how much you all have encouraged me and what your friendship and what your constant encouragement means to me in my walk with the Lord and in my battle on the front lines with our spiritual enemy. So thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm just going to repeat the same thing that Paul said. I would certainly covet and appreciate your prayers over the next eight weeks. I'm going to be doing a lot of speaking and preparation for speaking. I'm going to be speaking at a conference in Dallas, Texas at the end of July, and I'm going to be doing a lot of preparation for that. And I'm also just going to throw this out, if some of you are interested. Yes, we're shutting down the mine until July 8th for those four weeks and then starting up the fall in, on August. But if some of you would like to be part of a Bible study that I teach, there are a couple of options on Sunday. 
I teach a small church at 8 o'clock in the morning called Singles and Others, and that's for really anybody who's single or married who just wants to study the Bible. And right now we're in the midst of a great study on what does it mean to follow Jesus Christ. And Sundays, we're having almost 100 people on Sunday at 8 o'clock. If you'd like to be a part of that, I'd love to have you. We can set up more chairs always. At 9.15, right after that, in the same room over here, A104, my wife and I are doing a Bible study with couples. Right now, the small church is called Young Marrieds, although we're going to change that name because it's not just for young marrieds, it's for couples. We even have couples in there that aren't married yet. But we just want to encourage couples in their relationship with each other and their walk with the Lord. And I think all of you who know me know that these are going to be Bible studies. So if you'd like to be part of a Bible study and... I just throw that out. We would love to have you at 8 or at 9.15. Guys, one more thing. I don't know all of you as well as I know some of you, but just thank you so much for a great semester. I, I love you guys. I have enjoyed it. You have been an unbelievable encouragement to me. And I just, I can't express just how much you guys mean to me. And I just hope that I could be just a small encouragement to you guys in your walk with the Lord as much as you are to me. Let's close with prayer and I'll let you go. Don't forget, July, 2 Timothy, a four-week study of 2 Timothy, and then August 19th, we study the book of James. Two great studies. God, thank you so much. For just allowing us to stand. And also, Lord, to just have a realistic perspective that on this side of heaven, we're in a conflict. We're in a battle. And throughout our lives, we're going to be attacked by our spiritual adversary that wants to discourage us every way that he can. Hurl every doubt every flaming arrow at us that he possibly can. But God, we have been reminded these last two weeks that compared to you, he's powerless. Compared to you, he's impotent. Compared to you, he is nothing. And as long as we stand in your power and with your armor on, there is nothing the demons of hell or Satan himself can ever do to harm us. God, encourage us tonight. Remind us how powerful we are as Christians in the power of the Lord. Remind us that we are more than conquerors through Him who has loved us. Remind us that He who is in us is greater than He who is in the world. And go with us from this place, Lord, strengthening us and using our lives and our walk with You to strengthen our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ as well. God bless these folks. Give them a great summer. Keep us safe. Go with us, Lord. May we sense your power and presence in our life like never before. And we ask these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Guys, I love you. Have a great summer. I'll see you in July.